Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you for this time together this morning. We thank you that we can look into your word. Lord, we thank you and praise you uh, for Christmas. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we uh, ask and pray that you would fill us with awe, help us to marvel at the wonder of it. And Lord Jesus, we pray and ask your blessing on our conversation today. Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen and, and encourage us in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, that was absolutely awesome and hilarious. <clears throat> if you do say so yourself. I do. I crack myself up sometimes so bad. Okay, so today we're going to start talking about um, the problem of evil. Why does God allow suffering in the world? And... As I was thinking about, okay, well, what subject should we tackle next in apologetics? Um, I thought that this one fit fairly well for a couple of reasons. One, I think Jonathan did the problem of hell. Like, why would a loving God send people to hell a few weeks ago? Um, but then also, because we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 1 and how God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so... Um, we've nibbled around in the sermons, um, you know, the, the idea of man's responsibility in terms of, of salvation and, and that sort of thing. And, and uh, do, do, do man's actions have real impact? Um, we've talked a little bit about that in the sermon. But related to that, and in, in the chapter in Grudem's uh, Systematic Theology on God's providence, God's sovereignty, he has a whole section on well, what does this mean about, you know, for evil and suffering in this world. And so I thought, well, this will fit hopefully well. And maybe if someone has questions about this, which uh, they would come and be a part of this, but it doesn't look like anybody new has shown up. So, um Anyway, it's just us, and they can listen to it online later. So, uh, so that's where we're headed, and I put this lesson together, and um, it's long, and so I just know in advance we're not going to get through all of it today. Uh, I'm not even going to try. We'll get as far as we can, and it'll for sure be two weeks and maybe three. I don't know. We'll just see how it goes. Um, that way we don't have to feel like we're trying to rush through all of the material, if that's okay. So, <clears throat> um, when it comes to, um, okay, let me back up. As it relates to apologetics, this class, we've been trying to do, uh, trying to prepare ourselves to be able to do street level apologetics. And what we mean by that is being able to talk to the average ordinary person in an average ordinary conversation about our faith and giving them reasons for why we believe what we believe and to be able to hopefully handle some of the more common objections to the Christian faith. We're not here trying to train ourselves to be philosophical debaters. Uh, it's unlikely that any of us will be in an official debate you know, where we sit on a stage and have timed responses and all that kind of thing. But every single one of us will and probably has, raise your hand if you have, interacted with someone who's had questions about the Christian faith or objections to the Christian faith or you face these kinds of questions. Like, I think all of us have 
have bumped into those those people, those conversations, um, and so we want to try to equip equip ourselves to be able to handle those. One of those things that people raise is uh, the problem of evil. Why does God allow suffering? And there are um, okay. So have you? Let me just ask it as a question. Have you come across that argument? Has anyone you have? How did they? How did it come up? How did they raise it? Um, well, my sister <clears throat> has um, multiple myeloma, and she's had chemo for fifteen years, and um, she's not who she was before. But she frequently asks me why. Why does God allow this? Mm-hmm. And I say to her. Suffering is supposed to, um, it's kind of like the statue that Michelangelo carved of David in Florence. And we're made of that hard white marble. And the Lord is chipping it off to make us into Hmm. the person that he wants us to be. Mm -hmm. And chipping off hurts. Yeah. Chipping off does hurt. And the the point is, it's not to to take delight in, in causing suffering, but the suffering causes us to be transformed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of really good things in what you said. One is that we need to remember that when people bring this question up, um, there's probably something behind it. So there's, there's two ways to approach this subject. And we want to try to do both. And I don't know if we'll do, well, we'll do, we'll do one, we'll start one for sure this week. But there's the, the philosophical answer to this question. And then there's the pastoral response to this question. When it comes to your sister who's struggling with multiple myeloma and asking the question why this is going on, and in your response, you're squarely in the pastoral camp. You're right. I mean, there. It's not like there is an overlap between the two. Um, there are sort of the cold philosophical questions that come. Uh, well, if God is all powerful and God is all wise and God is good, then why is there suffering? There's sort of the you know that kind of objection. Um, but then there's there's also the pastoral side, which is to say lots of people who ask this question, in fact, in my experience, I've interacted with more people who are asking because of some experience in their own life than just dry or cold philosophical reasoning. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That's not to say that we're not going to have overlap in our response, right? It's not to say that we're not going to have some of our philosophical answers or reasoning that joins in with our pastoral response. There's an overlap, right? Um, But there is a difference in some of how we respond to the person, right? Especially if they're right in the thick of suffering. Um, so that's one good thing in, in what you brought out. The second is that <clears throat> we have to recognize that 
God has purposes in our suffering. And there are multiple potential purposes in our suffering. And we're going to focus on that. We're going to give a lot of attention to that later okay. in terms of, okay, what are what could God be doing in the midst of my suffering? And I put that in, I put those answers in the pastoral response side of things. So we'll we'll get to that in future weeks. So so two sides to this issue, the philosophical and the pastoral. And so we'll split this teaching time into a couple of different parts in how we respond to this question of of why does God allow suffering or evil? And when I say um, philosophical, what I mean is wrestling with this question on an intellectual or logical level. Um, And when I say pastoral, I mean wrestling with the problem of evil on more of an emotional, experiential level. And I don't mean to imply that we're not going to use the scriptures in both, because we will in both cases. Um, The only way that we can respond to this is with God's word. Um, I just want to make a note to myself here. Okay. Something for me to look up and add to a future lesson. Okay. Um, So the Bible teaches that God is almighty. He is good. He's holy. He's righteous. And he's loving. Um, That evil exists because of the fall. God allows evil and is sovereign over evil. And he uses it to accomplish his perfect plan. Um, but it's good to distinguish these two categories because the way that we respond is going to be different. So think about when someone l- loses a loved one, um, they don't need a lot of necessarily... Fe- <coughs> Man, cough is just hanging on. Uh, they don't need a lot of necessarily theological or logical explanations in the moment. Although those things may come later down the road, in the moment, what they need is this the ministry of presence, you being with them, loving them, caring for them, the ministry of prayer uh, with them, for them, the ministry of the word, pointing them to God's uh, promises to comfort them um, in that season. D- does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So there's a difference, and we just, I mean, I know you guys know this, but we have to be aware of what are we dealing with here. Even the person, if you're talking to, say, a neighbor or a coworker or a stranger, and they ask this question, you may want to do a little question asking of your own to try to find out what's behind the question. Does that make sense? Before you start diving in. Um, So... You might want to ask, you know, why are you asking or tell me a little bit more about your experience or something along those, those lines. Um, but today we're going we're gonna to start off with the philosophical side of this. So the question is, why does God permit evil? If God exists and he is all-loving, all-powerful, and all-wise, then why is there suffering and evil in the world? So David Hume, he said this, um, Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's impotent. 
is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Whence then is evil? Right? So this is clearly on the philosophical side of things. <clears throat> and there are some assumptions in there. What, are, what might be some of the assumptions that are running underneath that, that thread of argument? <clears throat> either or. Yeah, yeah. There's an either or assumption, right? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's good. Like it's either got to be this way or it's got to be this way. Um, what else might be an assumption underlying some of that? How does this argument run? The argument is like, if he was this, then he would do this. If he was this, then he would do this. And if he doesn't do this, as I see it, then he isn't, then he doesn't exist. That's something like what we're dealing with, right? <clears throat> but what, what's, what then is one of the assumptions that underlines this argument? Yeah, that is definitely the assumption, right? Yeah, that's the assumption. And and to what extent, right? Like we're assuming we know how God would act mm -hmm. given these certain things. But are we God? Absolutely not. Right? Like how, how do we know how it should be? Who is the measure of God in this argument? The person arguing. Man is. We are. The person making the argument, humanity, us, we're judging God based on our standard of how we think God should act, just like you said, Rebecca. If God is all good, then we wouldn't have this. But that's a big assumption. A big assumption to say this is how we think or this is how God should act. Uh, there's an assumption that Zero pain and zero suffering is the best and wisest course in all cases. That is the assumption that we're making. We're, we're, the assumption is that the best possible world is the world with zero pain and zero suffering. Yeah, go ahead. But that's what heaven is. Yeah. So that's part of our, that's going to be part of our response. Part of our response is God's working that out, right? We're going to get there. But between where things began and where things are going, there's a, there is a, uh, something happened <laughs> to ruin things, right? Which is the fall. And God's in the process of restoring all things. But if we believe that God is sovereign, then we also know that the fall wasn't an accident or unexpected on God's plan for things, right? So in God's timing, even the middle portion of the plan is the best of, of all possible plans. So if, if God is good as Christians claim, then he must be even more appalled by evil than we are. And if God is as powerful as Christians claim, then he must be able to do something about evil so why does God allow evil? Um, is he not powerful enough to do anything? Or is he not loving enough? Or is he not wise enough? Either God is 
all loving but not powerful enough to do anything, or God is all powerful but doesn't want to do anything, and therefore God doesn't exist. That's something along the lines of the argument. But the assumption is, is that zero pain and suffering is the best course of action. The question assumes that we know better than God what would make the best world, and a world without evil is best. But we are not all wise, and it's possible, it's just possible, that our starting premise is wrong. That that premise, that a world without evil is best, that that premise is wrong. The question also assumes that God <clears throat> is going to allow evil to go on forever without ever bringing it into justice, uh, bringing it to account. But that is not the case, as we know as Christians. There will be a day of judgment, and God will make all wrongs right. So it's not totally true to say that God doesn't do anything about evil. He does do something about evil. In fact, he's in the process of doing something about evil. And this is going to connect to, ultimately, the glory of the gospel, the glory of Christmas, the good news of Jesus Christ, and his plan to make all things new. So I came across this illustration um, I don't know if we've mentioned this, but Biola University has uh, an outstanding apologetics program. And one of the professors there is uh, Sean McDowell. He's the professor of Christian apologetics at Biola University. And he has a blog, and I wanna read this blog. This blog actually doesn't come from him. It comes from one of his students. The student's name is Tim uh, Stratton. And he wrote this blog in 2019, and it's, it's a page, so it's about, you know, five, six minutes, but I think it's, it's worth reading. And it deals with this, um, the problem of evil, and, and maybe helps us to begin our, our thinking about this. It says, the problem of evil, a.k.a. the problem of suffering, I'm quoting now just so everybody knows, and I'll tell you when I've, I'm finished quoting. <laughs> um, the problem of evil, a.k.a. the problem of suffering, in my experience, is by far the greatest reason atheists offer for their lack of belief. In a nutshell, the problem of evil and suffering comes down to this. Why would a perfectly good, loving, and all-powerful God allow so much pain, evil, and suffering in the world? Since many cannot make sense of this, they often either get mad at God and resent him, or they simply abandon their faith altogether and become atheists. Avengers Endgame, however, provides Christians a unique opportunity to help non-Christians who struggle with the logical problem of evil and suffering to see that this problem is really no logical problem at all. Now let me just pause here for a minute. Um, so know what he's doing. He's using, I think Endgame must have come out around this time. He wrote it in 2019. He's using this cultural uh, whatever, this movie, to, to help answer this question. But notice his focus is on the logical side of things. He's not saying that this solves the pastoral problem. He's not saying this solves the emotional problem of suffering. He's talking about the logical side of things, okay? Okay, so <clears throat> back to the article. Quote, 
Doctor Strange, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this movie at all. If you're not at all familiar, you're going to maybe have a little bit of a hard time. I'll try to explain it as we go along. Um, okay, Endgame. What happened before that, Infinity War, this guy named Thanos got these stones and his plan was to wipe out half the universe with these stones and start over because there wasn't enough resources and, and so he wanted to snap his fingers, wipe out half of of every planet everywhere all across the universe and at the end of Infinity War uh, he spoiler alert he does it sorry Titus <laughs> you're gonna I mean you just have to you have to watch it buddy sorry you're not quite old enough um, okay so Endgame is how they deal with this problem right um, so Doctor Strange used the Time Stone not merely to look forward into the future to see what will happen. This is in Infinity War. Uh, he, he's trying to figure out what's going to happen. But he, used, he had the Time Stone, this green stone, to evaluate over 14 million alternate futures, otherwise known as possible worlds, to see what would happen if. So Doctor Strange is doing that because although... It is not logically impossible for the Avengers to defeat Thanos. It could happen. He wants to see if there is a possible world that could be actualized, what philosophers and theologians describe as a feasible world, in which the Avengers actually would defeat Thanos. So is it, like, I know it's possible, but like, how, which one? What's it going to be? So Doctor Strange explains that he examined over 14 million possible alternate futures, but out of the multi-millions of possible worlds surveyed, he knows of only one in which the good guys actually defeat Thanos in the end. One in 14 million is typically thought of as horrible odds. <laughs> Many thought the ending of Infinity War was one of despair. I, however, was filled with hope. This is because it seemed that these alternate futures were not merely based on chance alone and that Doctor Strange gained knowledge of how all these superheroes and villains would freely choose in each of the millions and millions of possible worlds he examined. Possessing this knowledge of how these superpowered persons would freely choose in each of these possible futures, similar to what theologians refer to as God's middle knowledge, it seemed to me that Strange freely chose himself and did everything in his power to make the possible world in which the good guys would win the actual world in which the good guys will win. Indeed, right before Strange fades away at the end of Infinity War, he tells Tony Stark, that's Iron Man, it was the only way. The heroic Doctor Strange, as we see in Endgame, this best feasible world, according to Doctor Strange, is the one in which the greatest number of persons flourish and the evil of Thanos is eventually conquered. As Strange tells Stark in Endgame, if I tell you what will happen, it won't happen. Be that as it may, this particular world is also filled with temporary but extreme amounts of pain, evil, sadness, and suffering before the ultimate good can be realized. I'll stop here again for a minute. In Endgame, there is a, there's a tremendous amount of pain and suffering that happens on their way to defeating Thanos and restoring things and making it right. So that's part of this process. That's what he's talking about here, this, this uh, stratum. Is Doctor Strange evil for ensuring this possible future world became the actual future world? Not at all. In fact, the entire theater cheered for him and recognized him as the savior of the uni Marvel Universe. As Bruce Banner explains, 
exclaims he must have done it for a reason. Even though Strange created <clears throat> a reality with so much pain and suffering, it's clear that he created the best feasible world after accounting for all the actions of all the free agents, both heroes and villains. Why then, if Strange is a hero, would anyone think less of God, the savior of the actual universe? God should be praised. God actualized and created the best of all feasible worlds. Perhaps this world is the one in which the greatest number of creatures in the image of God freely chose to respond to God's love and grace and also freely chose to love God and all people eternally into the infinite future. That is to say, this world suffused with horrible but temporary evil and suffering is also the same world where the greatest number of humans flourish for eternity. Then the author says, as I predicted a year ago, Dr. Strange had the big picture in mind and made his choice, allowing limited evil to ultimately defeat evil. God has eternity in mind and made his choice, allowing limited evil to ultimately destroy evil into the infinite future. God is the hero of the universe and should be praised. Conclusion. Endgame was a glorious three-hour ending to Infinity War. Along with being a great entertainment, the movie deserves two thumbs up for solving the logical problem of evil. Bottom line, if one sees Doctor Strange as a hero, then he should not see the problem of evil as a problem at all. At least he means, okay, that's end quote, at least he means uh, from a logical side of things. Now, <clears throat> he doesn't talk about this in his article, but in uh, Endgame, uh, there's a moment where Doctor Strange looks at Tony, at Iron Man, and he holds up his finger, showing there's just one way, and he doesn't say anything, but Iron Man knows what he has to do. He actually has to sacrifice himself to defeat Thanos and save everybody else. And so it, it reminds me of how Jesus, who was completely unlike Tony Stark, because <laughs> uh, like, he's perfect and Tony Stark was anything but, um, but Jesus sacrificed himself to save everyone else. The point of this article, the only reason that I bring this up is to say that it addresses one of these underlying assumptions in this argument about the problem of evil, and that is to say that we know what is the best possible world and the way things would be underneath or at the creation of an all-wise, infinite God. The, the, the actual reality is we don't. If God knows all, then the most likely scenario is that the, one in, the world in which we live actually is the best possible of all worlds. For taking into account all reasons for why this world would be best to begin with. Does, does it make sense? And part of that, um, maybe the, the clearest and most important thing in that is not about us, but about God and his glory, <laughs> right? Like, so um, it's, it's helpful for us to, to start by rem reminding ourselves when we come up against arguments against the Christian faith to stop and slow down and think long enough to, to start to ask, okay, what are some of the underlying assumptions that are going on behind this? And there are two as it relates to the problem of evil that we have to sort of be aware of. The one is like logical assumptions behind the question, which is to say, well, if God was all loving and all wise and all powerful, then this is what it would be. But that assumes that you know what would be best. 
the other assumption or the other underlying assumption is the pastoral side which is to say the person asking the question may have personally or someone in their life they've gone through suffering and evil and pain and that's what's behind the question does it make sense okay so obviously endgame is just a movie the reality is that god in his sovereignty um, turns evil to accomplish his good will and Jesus Christ, I think it's good for us to remember that Jesus Christ is the clearest and the greatest example of that that we have. So the, the death, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the greatest moral evil that has ever taken place on the planet. And out of this greatest moral evil, God uses this to bring the greatest good to all the world. So like God, God has done this. He is all wise, all powerful, all loving. He knows what he's doing. And the world that we have must be the best possible world. And in the end, God is going to accomplish the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people, but all for his glory. All for his glory. Okay. First, yeah, go ahead. I have a question. Um, that it seems to say the same thing that you're saying, but it's like the way I, I think of it. Like, if never, if there never had been evil, um, if there never had been the fall, if we didn't have these things, how many parts of God's character, how many good things would we miss out on? Because if there was never anything to forgive, we wouldn't know His forgiveness. Right. If there was never anything to heal, we wouldn't know as healer. Yep. And you know, I think of our friends the Schwartzes who've just gone through yes. hell on earth, you know, and they cling to the goodness of God even in the midst of all of that. Yeah. Knowing that he's ultimately the healer and it doesn't kind of here, but um, the 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 also I have a friend whose son dealt with cancer his whole life, you know, brain cancer and whatnot. She's like, if I could pick a world without his cancer, I wouldn't do it. Because what I know of God now is so much deeper than what I knew of God before that. Yeah. And it's just actually astounding to think that she would, after the first year of going through his brain cancer, which mm -hmm. was like four or six or whatever he was, that she testified to. I know more of the goodness of God now after going through that yep. than I did before. Yeah. Um, and in a yeah, in a far deeper, far more real way is, is the assumption, kind of right? Yeah. Like putting a diamond on a black backdrop. Mm -hmm. There's more facets of God's character available against the backdrop of evil, mm -hmm. and for all of eternity, His grace will be evident to say point to. But I say that one, that justifies to his grace. You know? Yes. Yeah, I, I say amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord to everything that you just said, Angie. And I love that you came up with an illustration with the diamond on the black backdrop. <laughs> so that's been there. I know, but it's like, there's always going to be an illustration. I love Sorry. it. I don't want to put pressure on you to be like, oh no, I don't have an illustration, I can't talk. There's always an um, illustration. <laughs> but it's, it's true. What would we know about God's forgiveness? God's grace, God's mercy, 
man, the last, this last week, in particular the last couple of days, I've really just been thinking again about God's grace to me. Like, completely undeserved. I'm a, I'm a wretched sinner. You know, I was, I was writing in my journal, like, in my devotional time, I resonate with Paul when he says, I'm the foremost sinner. Like, I feel like that. And then when I resonate with Paul when he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Like, it's just, I know we talk about it at church all the time, and it's good, but the danger is, is we sort of, glaze over when we start thinking about and talking about God's grace. It's completely undeserved. Like, I deserve hell. Like, I deserve judgment. And that's not what I'm getting because of Jesus. And it's amazing. But how would I know that, to your point, Angie, without a world that had been fallen, a world in which I am this wretched sinner who is in desperate need of grace Rescue, mercy, forgiveness. What would we know of God's justice without the punishment of that evil eventually? Right? One day all evil will be punished. So yeah, I say amen. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? That is why I was talking about the idea of God's glory as foundational. Like, we're relentlessly self-focused as human beings. Mm -hmm. We want it to be all about us. And and it's not all about us. It's all about God. And God is in the process of displaying his glory in this world that he has created in every possible way for him to do that. Every way. He's the diamond in the illustration. And he's displaying every facet of his glory in the process that we're in, right? So yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, Okay, if we're thinking about um, we're thinking about suffering, I think it's good to think about um, different kinds of suffering that we face in this world. You had mentioned a few of them. Uh, we've we've sort of nibbled around that, but let's try to put our suffering into different categories if we can. Well, first, generically, why why as Christians do we say that there is evil and suffering in this in this world. Why do we say that? Yeah, why, like if someone says, why is there evil and suffering in this world? As Christians, what is our oh, baseline sin. response? Sin. Yeah, because of sin, because of the fall. And, you know, it's been a while since we've talked about this, but what did the fall actually impact? Like, what's the extent? Every human person. Every human person is impacted by the fall. And... Our relationship with Yes, our relationship with God is impacted by the fall. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about both of these. Every human person is, is impacted. It, what about our mind? Same. Tainted? Yes. What about our, our hearts, our emotions? Same. Tainted? Yes. Yes. What about our will, our desires? Same. Tainted? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so all, all of us is tainted, flawed, fallen sinful right uh, so we're sinful by nature 
And we also sin because we're, we make choices to sin. We're sinners, right? Um, okay. And then, so that, the impact, also then it impacts our relationship with God, as Marcia said. Uh, it cuts us off from relationship with him and makes us his enemies. enemies. Uh, rebels. Yeah, what else is impacted by the fall? Of course, there's horizontally relate, relationships between humans, but, but what else? Yeah, creation itself. Can you think of any verses that, that talk about that? I've got my Bible open to Romans chapter 8. Let me just read a few verses from Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is where we've been, we've been talking about this in our sermons and, and thinking about our inheritance, where everything's going to be perfect. That's what we talked about last week, right? <clears throat> and I talked about this verse a couple of times. Then it says, uh, so, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So this is a classic key text for us to show that the whole creation has been screwed up. And what's the impact of that? Like, what do we see? How do we know experientially that it's all messed up? I always think about fruit trees in the spring, you know, when they, they blossom. Okay. And they're beautiful and fragrant, and then they die. And I've always wondered if in heaven they would just always be blossoming. and. Oh, like, like always in bloom? Correct. Like always producing fruit mm -hmm. instead of like... Fruit, nothing. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you think about like walking through the apple orchard in the fall and there's all the little rotten apples on yeah, the ground. Squishy. Or you pick one off the tree and you and it looks good on one side and then you turn it around and it's like, oh, it's yeah. like all just creepy and gross. Is that ever, no, just me? No, I thought of it. Just me, okay. You're, it's okay to laugh at me. Just <laughs> let it out, Rebecca. Just let it out. <laughs> um, okay, what else? How else do we know? Fruit rots. That's one and, way. And and animals are like, for instance, a lion would kill us, and prom mm. and he promises that you know children will be able to put their hands into the adder's nest without being bitten. Yeah. Titus, how cool will it be one day to be able to like hang out with the big cats and <laughs> not be able, you know, not, not get eaten. Free. Titus loves the big cats. Does he? He loves them all. The lions, the tigers. The bears. Oh my. What, what's your favorite big cat? Tiger. The tiger? Yeah, they're beautiful. Mine's the snow leopard. They're beautiful. I think that thing is awesome. Super long tail, very fluffy, yeah. gorgeous. 
Anyway, sorry. I total total digression. Um, what else? How do we know that this world is broken? We're surrounded. Say that again. War. There's war, but is that creation or is that because of us? That's one of the reasons like that we see our fallenness. So we're always fighting each other. Um, cancer. Cancer is a great illustration. Sickness, disease. Um, I forgot to mention this a moment ago, but Angie, when you were talking about your friend who said she wouldn't want to do a world without cancer because of what it's shown her about God, I have a, a friend named Paul who's who has cere- cerebral palsy, mm. and his life has, has been filled with suffering. Um, but he's thankful for it because it's what brought him to Jesus Christ. Like, there's another aspect of it where, like, yes, we see the goodness of God in His all-sufficient grace sustaining us through that, right? Him proving His goodness, His comfort, all that. But then there's the other side of it where, you know, suffering often leads us to Christ. And He knows that on the other side, He's going to have a perfect heavenly body, right? But He recognizes, He's able to recognize that His... His disease, his suffering, um, is founda- was foundational for himself coming to Christ, like God using that to lead him to salvation. So yeah, disease, suffering is a great example. Cancer is a great example of how the world is broken, fallen. Difficulty in relationships, I'm thinking of, of my marriage. I would never mm. have known the Lord if I hadn't had that kind of an terrible marriage. Yeah. And you can see that now, but looking in the moment, you didn't see that. But you can see it looking backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What about um, what about hurricanes? What about tornadoes? Yeah. What about earthquakes? They wreak havoc. Like the the world is broke. <laughs> like it's it's literally broke. It's Go ahead, Rebecca. Yeah. No, no, I'm just saying earthquakes. Like the world is literally breaking. Yeah, the earth. Yes, the earth is like literally Falling breaking. Down. It's like literally got cracks in it. It's like shaking and trembling and falling apart. And there's volcanoes. You know, like there's all these what we call natural disasters, right? Right. Um, okay, so let's let's stop for a moment then and ask the question then what are some of the sources of our suffering? What are some of the causes of our suffering in our life? A great amount of the time it's ourselves. Even as we respond to the brokenness, um, we have a choice in the way that we respond. And if we respond to brokenness in a broken way, yeah. it exacerbates the problem. But if we... If we uh, uh, respond in, in the way that Christ has shown us how to respond yeah it will and it'll cause us to grow yeah yeah so um, sadly as difficult as it is we have to admit that some of the suffering that we face is because of our own sinful choices mm-hmm. we bring it on ourselves right um, so we we suffer because of sin in us and of course other people suffer because of our sinful choices but what kind of caveat would we want to put on this the idea that 
that we suffer because of our sin. What kind of caveat would we want to put on that? Not all suffering is is because of... I mean, Jesus said that. They're like, well, who sinned to cause this man Mm -hmm. to be... Correct. Yeah. Blind or whatever the thing, malady was that he had. Yeah. And Jesus is like, it wasn't... That wasn't his fault. Right. Or his parents' fault. Right. Yeah. And so just to take us back to glory, that was the reason. The the reason was glory. God's glory. Right. For him to be glorified in this. Right. So so that's a great biblical example. And that is the caveat that we need to put here because sometimes, and I've known people, they suffer. They're going through something in their lives. And they're like, well, I've, I don't know what I did. Like I've, I've confessed every sin that I can think of and I'm still suffering, right? We had a friend whose son went through illness and he blamed himself because of his sin. The the son blamed himself? No, no, the father blamed himself for his son's suffering because of his sins in his past going, well, the sins of the fathers are visited on the children, took the verse out of, you know, and felt like it was him. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, that that's not the correlation. Yeah. You, you, you might have an alcoholic father and his sins impact the next generation, but not, that's like more of a direct Correct. line. This is different, right? Because, right. like, yeah, you did something sinful in the past, and now your son has some kind of illness. Yeah. That's a that's a tough line to draw. It's a line that we can't draw. It's, it's like impossible because we don't know, right? The reality of it is, though, is that lots of people, when they're suffering, Christians, lots of Christians, when they're suffering, they think, well, I must have sinned. The reason I'm suffering is because of some sin in my life. Now, that might be the case. But it might not. But it might not be the case, right? Mm-hmm. And so we want to just be careful that we don't... Okay, that's Job's friend's mistake. Amen. Like, hey, you're suffering. It's your fault. It's your fault. Like, what, like <laughs> it's kind of like, all right, Job, what'd you do? Yeah. Like, what? You must have really screwed up bad. Yeah. Right? Yes. But what is the actual case? The There's law. nothing he did. Not at all. No. Nothing. The Lord allowed it. Yeah. Okay, so one reason we suffer is because of sin in ourselves, but that is not always the reason. What are other reasons that we might be suffering? We've already mentioned two, so we just have to like make them specific. Might just maybe somebody else's sin. Yes. And it might be like the drunk driver. It yes. It might just be the because of fallen creation. You know, in the state instance of like, you know, earthquakes, forest fires, cancer, it's not somebody's fault. Correct. It's just broken creation. Yeah. So that's, that's, those are the two reasons, right? So, okay, so now we have three on the table. Let's just review what they are. Sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. sin. Sometimes we suffer because of somebody else's sin. sin. Is that my fault? No, that's, that's on them. Sometimes we suffer because we live in a broken, fallen world. We, we, yeah, 
all the all the things that Angie just mentioned, right? Drunk drivers, that's the second one. But then we have like the diseases and the earthquakes and all those sorts of things. And the sin of other people is not to be minimized. Amen. It's so devastating, isn't it? It is. It's so devastating. Uh, so, so hurtful sometimes. Um, so those are three reasons. There's a fourth reason that I have, um, and that is that sometimes God disciplines uh, his children like a father disciplines their children. And I have that on the list because the Bible says that no discipline is pleasant at the time. It's painful, right? God's discipline is painful. Would discipline be because of our own sin? Say that again. Would discipline fall under the because of our sin? Yeah, but I mean, there's a nuance there because I can sin and bring negative consequences on myself as a natural result of my my sin, right? Um, and then God can also bring consequences into our lives. And oftentimes those things are connected, but they're not. Does it make sense? God wants to use, uh, God can sometimes bring, like let's think of a sin that isn't necessarily causing suffering in your life. Does, does it make sense? Like you, you could potentially be in sin, doing a sin that doesn't directly cause you to suffer. At least you're not seeing it. And then God brings discipline into your life okay, so to pride. deal with the sin. Yeah. The sin of pride. In sure. Life. Yeah. And God disciplines you by a rebellious child. Yeah. Who? Well, no. Who I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, like, if I drink and smoke and whatever, yeah. I'm yes. sinning. There's, that. there's natural consequences. So and then if I'm sinning over here, there are, there what's are. An what's an example? Yes. Um, boy, okay, I, an example of where God disciplines us to train us. It could be anything, really. If you take, like, the same yeah. pride. Sure. Okay. Sure. A discipline. Uh, think of anything that God would use to humble you in your life. You get a, it could be anything that God uses to humble you. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe it is, um, yeah, I don't know. It, this this is a, it's a really hard. It's really hard to give like a. Let me. I'm trying to think in my own life how I experience this. Um, if we're haughty, we can have a, a in, in college, and we can get a really low grade or a flunking grade. Sure. And that would be our comeuppance. Sure. Yeah. And the rub for this is. And th this is where we'll get to, I think, in the pastoral side of things, is that, okay, let me ask it this way. What's the first question that people ask when they suffer? Why? Why? And why me, right? Um, and what's the difficulty in answering the question? It's the same difficulty that we're running into with looking for a specific example. Could be any. Well, the difficulty is, is that God doesn't give us the specifics. He gives us general, and there are several, we'll see those. I can think of at least nine. I've got nine on my list for when we talk about it. Reasons why God allows suffering in our lives. 
The rub for us is the reason why we're having trouble answering the question is that God doesn't often give us the specifics. In other words, we know like generally God disciplines us for our our good so that we might share in his holiness. But what God doesn't always tell us is this specific thing is happening in your life right now for this specific sin, for this specific reason. The specifics, we don't get them. We get general answers, and that's why it's hard to say, like, um, (laughs) it's why it's hard to answer the question, give me a specific reason. Well, it's hard because I would have to know specifically why X happened, and I just don't think that God always gives us that. I think what God gives us is general reasons for why we suffer, enough that we know that we can trust him and that he has our good in mind in the midst of all of this. But I don't think God gives us specifics in specific circumstances all the time. That's the that's the rub. Time with the discipline one, though, because, yeah. for example, um, I don't know. Like I think those God can use the things and the other our sin, someone else's sin, broken, fallen world to discipline us. Correct. Yeah. Um, the thinking of you know. I don't know, uh, someone prideful, I, I, I don't know, but, and, and then, like a natural, something happens, I'm like, it, it, it seems hard to separate that one, like I'm having a hard time. I don't think that they're completely separated. Yeah. I don't think that they're completely separated. I think they're overlapping, for because sure. The discipline, would, the discipline would come under one of the other categories, either because of fallen because well, of the natural consequences and so forth? Sure. You know, so I'm just trying to think of an example. Well, I'm thinking of Job and, you know, all the things he was going to ask the Lord when he got to talk to him and plead his case. But once faced with the Lord, he knew that he was God and that Job didn't have any right to question. And I think that's, we can't sort it out. We just know he's God. He has our best in mind and we'll go through suffering yeah period and and maybe that's a good as we bump up against time um that might be a good place for us to end today i mean where are we going to get at the end of this trail seeing god face to face (laughs) well then we won't have a question that's the oh yes that's the ultimate end of the trail i was thinking more like uh, in this conversation about evil and suffering, <laughs> like the end of this trail of like apologetically, <laughs> you know, like as we think and talk. But yes, the the ultimate end of the trail, praise God, is a world without suffering. Amen. And that's our greatest hope uh, in all of this. But we're going to get to like on on this side of heaven, like what what's the end of the road? You know how when we talked about. Um, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And we we kept talking about how we have to uphold both of these truths at the same time. But there is an end to that road. And the end of that road is is we don't exactly know how it all fits together. Does does that make sense? Like Job. Yeah. Um, There's sort of an end of the road in the conversation about suffering on this side of heaven, right? And it's, it's, to your point, it's moving us to the place where we have to we have to, at the end of the day, say, we don't know all the reasons. Amen. Specifically. 
Understood. Like we don't have the specific reason, but we know enough to trust God. We know enough to trust him in the midst of our suffering. We know that he's going to work good from this suffering. We, we go back to these things that we know are true. Mm-hmm. And we think too about, um, there are two ways I think that God gets glory in the midst of our suffering on, on, on this side. The one way that God gets glory is by deliverance. That could be a healing. It could be a restoration of relationship. It could be, uh, you know, somebody repents and turns to the Lord. There's a deliverance. There's a, there's a fixing of the problem, right? That's one way that God gets glory in the midst of our suffering, even now, even here. And we pray for those things all the time. Amen? We pray for healing. We pray for people to get saved. We pray for people to be reconciled. Like, we pray for all those things. And then, but there's another way in which God also gets glory in the midst of our suffering. And this helps us to answer the question, like, why doesn't God always heal? Because the other way that God gets glory is by displaying his all-sufficient grace to sustain us in the midst of our suffering. Amen. Just why, you know, Paul prays three times, take this, take this away from me. Take away this thorn. And what's God's response? He my says, right, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Yeah. I was talking with a family this week who was wrestling with why hasn't, you know, like, why this person, why, why hasn't God responded, Right. And that's that's super hard. Amen. That's super hard. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's tricky because, like, I tend to think of that, those two scenarios as it relates to healing, because it's the most obvious. D- does it make sense? Like, mm-hmm. you're either healed or you're not healed. D- does it make sense? Yes. But like when we're talking about other things, there's. It's more open-ended while we have life on this earth. So now I'm thinking in terms of like a reconciliation in a marriage or a, a child coming to walk with the Lord Amen. who's rebellious. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, like with, with, with disease, it tends to be like, yeah, you're healed or nope, you're not healed and you're going to have this or you're going to die from this. Whereas over here... It's open-ended, and that's hard because we have to keep praying. We have to keep trusting. We have to keep going. Does it make sense? Like, yeah, so what's the, yeah. what was, say, the, the little part at the beginning of that one, through deliverance or through? Through God giving you his grace to sustain you in the midst of it. Yeah, to carry you through it. To, to yeah. Because I have a cousin who has, you would think he would have hit bottom by now. Yeah. Um, like, jail time, I mean, but it's a substance abuse issue, but I mean, he's been he's gone through and his, there was so much prayer poured, has been poured into his deliverance from substance abuse and he himself has turned to the Lord over and over and over again, Yeah. but he still is in the clutches yeah. of it and keeps getting sucked back into alcoholism, and he hasn't been delivered, and I'm like we have, he's, old, he's older than me and we've prayed for him for years. 
Yeah. And so there's no deliverance hasn't happened. Well, in his case, I don't know because I don't know all the details. But but there's been some deliverance. Yes. Physically, but then there's been some deliverance ultimately because it sounds like he, he gave his life to the Lord. In Christ, but he yeah. just keeps. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. Weakness, yeah. Yeah, and it's got the the drugs have its clutches on him. Yep. Physically, and yeah. So that's a case of like of both. It's like a both and in that case, it seems like, because I mean, he's been delivered temporarily or for seasons in his life, but he's also been delivered spiritually, right? Ultimately, Ultimately he's been delivered. And in the midst of it, you're still so that's the one side. And then the other side is is God's sustaining grace. You continue to pray for him, you continue to lift him up. And these are like the tough, tough cases, right? I mean, these are... I, I, I don't know who said this, but um, it was a Puritan. And obviously, I'm not going to get the quote word perfect. But it's something like, there are some things that God doesn't deliver us from on this side of heaven in order to keep us dependent on Him. And what I mean by that, I, I think what he meant by that is not to say that like you can't overcome drugs but it's like always going to be something that he has to fight forever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so this is just one of those super sad cases, it sounds like, where he wants freedom and his physical dependency continues to draw him back. He's making choices. His choices as well, sure, yeah, his choices as well. Um, so what do we do in that case? Then do we give up? No. No, of course not. We continue to pray and continue to seek the Lord. and. Amen. And that's, it's like one of those open-ended ones where it's like, what's God going to do with this? So, all right. Well, there's a lot more to talk about. Um, This is definitely going to take us three weeks, um, and that's okay. okay. It's a big subject. So we'll wrestle through uh, together, and we'll pick it up here, um, pick it up here next time. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we we just want to close today um, anchored on the truth that The suffering of this present world is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us in heaven. We thank you, God, that this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory uh, that far outweighs it as we focus not on what's temporary but what's eternal. Lord, we ask and pray that as we ourselves go through um, trials and difficulties in this life that we would fix our eyes on your character, who you are, that we trust that you are uh, wise and powerful and good and that you know uh, what is best and that you are using and will use all that we face in this life uh, for our good, for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, we we, we need your help um, to trust you and God, we thank you and praise you that you comfort us in the midst of all the things that we face in this life, Lord. So help us to be to be anchored in who you are and who we know you to be. And Lord, uh, when doubts come, help us to doubt our doubts and to believe our beliefs. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.